0: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
1: This is the Serum Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 276 for October 31st, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about the many ways to do one thing right. So get ready to stand your ground because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. All right. Welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Joining me today is Andrew in California.
0: That's right. Here I am. Hello. <laughs> Heather, also in California. I don't know how to follow that.
2: Hello. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and Bill in California. The third person in California is still here. I know. Good you morning. guys need to move somewhere else. Anyway. Hard. You're tra- the traffic's so bad, you can't
1: leave. <laughs> I know. a <what> good <laughs> And Doug over in Scotland.
4: Hey, everyone. Guys, are, like, intros becoming a thing? Are you that, guys? Like, since I've taken the <laughs> outros, like your sort of unique intro? Is this going to be Andrew's new thing?
3: It totally is. I think it should be. so. Yeah. We like it. Where yeah. are you at, Chris?
1: I am currently in Minden, Nevada, just south of Reno. We're here ah. for the week until we pick up our RV. We sent our RV in just for some some warranty minor stuff while we were gone in Greece. So yeah, I'm back from Greece. We got back on, I guess, technically Thursday last uh, a couple days ago and took about two days to get over here. And then we're staying down in a Um, down in a basically kind of a hotel thing for about a week until we pick up our RV and then we head out head to Las Vegas for a week and then we head to the East Coast so what part of the East Coast Uh, we always go to Charlotte for the holidays so Charlotte North Carolina that's where my you're like
3: like a complete snowbird you just because Carolina could get (laughs) cold you know you can start there around this time of year but then around Christmas you really should think about Florida right well no we really snowbirded up you know that's east coast snowbirds
1: we're west coast Uh-oh. snowbirds because after christmas arizona. we come back to arizona <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nerds.
1: there's another RVing event we go to in arizona every year uh-huh. about the middle of the month and then last year in february we went down to mexico with that same group and we're doing it again this year so we'll be down in mexico for the whole month of february so yeah we're totally oh, up. i know so we know chris hates snow He will never see snow. (laughs) I love snow. I hate this. I hate it with a passion. Like, I really want to wake up to, like, a foot of snow. But it also terrifies me to have snow even around the RV. Yeah, that's what I would think. So, yeah. So,
2: I would love to hear about your Greece trip. However, I think that you – I'm going to plug some of your (laughs) – programs, you have some shows that you're talking about your Greece trip, right?
1: Yes. So if you guys want to know all about Greece and the things that we saw and the places that we went, and we went to Croatia, Montenegro, Corfu, the island of Naxos, Crete, and spent uh, about a week in Athens as well. And all of that we've spent talking about on the last few episodes of the Archaeology Show. So take a look at the Archaeology Show, arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeology. And I swear to God, like the last like three or four episodes were all Greece and we're going to have a kind of a special episode next week and we'll talk about that in a second here. And then after that, our final Greece episode, which will be Athens, the Parthenon, all the stuff that we saw there. So, so cool. Yeah, it was really cool. The special episode next week, we're not doing a special episode this week, although some people maybe haunted by past excavations. That was a bad joke, but this releases on Halloween. <laughs> so we don't, there's nothing special about Halloween and CRM, but you know, maybe, uh, I don't know if we can come up with anything or not, but we really can't. So, so, uh, let's talk about this. So I was thinking about this topic for some reason, I don't know. It just popped right back into my head. I had an experience Like back in 2008, 2009 timeframe, give or take, it was with a a company that we were relatively new with, but we, my wife and I had had quite a bit of experience excavating on the East Coast. Our first like two or three years in CRM were all block excavations, like phase three block excavations. And it was just, that's what our experience was. And so we get out on this project out in the West here. In fact, I think it was in Utah, and we're starting with one by ones in these in this little area here, and then we were going to move into possibly some block excavation in another phase or another time. We never did that; it was just the one by ones. And so the project manager, you know, she's setting us up and she's uh, put us together, and we had you know partners, and she's like, "Hey, you know, you guys," and uh, pointed to me and the the person I was working with, and said, "You know, dig, dig a one by one right here." They actually, had a, a nail in the spot where we wanted the I think the the northwest corner or whatever it was. Because they'd already they'd already lined that out with the total station. And we proceeded to set it up. And just, just from putting our nails in and setting our datum for that particular one-by-one, one, and then we'd correspond the datum for that one-by-one one to the site datum, right? So you can get a, a full uh, vertical elevation for the whole thing. And she just started losing her mind on me because and and the person i was working with also came from the east coast and i don't know if that had a factor in it or not but we were just realizing that there were very different ways to do the same exact thing right neither of them none of them were wrong and they were all right right except the point of this story is the rigidity in you will do it this way because that way is wrong is what I really wanted to talk about here. Right. So from setting up excavation units to, to different things like that, if you've ever worked in more than one state, and I mean more than one state, not just in the Western United States, but if you've worked across the country in a, in a few states, you really start to realize that there's more than one way to do something right. Right. And that's what I want to talk about, Bill.
3: Just sounds to me like this person was a bad leader. <laughs> <laughs> if you were in charge and you were doing something that's pretty regular, yeah. you know, making a square with string and right. some nails, and you're losing yeah. your mind over something, I mean, either you've got a lot on your plate that no one else knows about, or you're just a really bad supervisor. Yeah. And,
1: I think she was just a really new supervisor. That's what it was, right? Because I was, I was a few years in to to a career in CRM, didn't have my master's degree yet, and and again, my ex, my experience was all East Coast, and she had just gotten her MA, and the whole excavation and sampling strategy was based on a single article that she read in a, in a journal somewhere, and so she was do, doing this whole sampling strategy based oh, on that, <laughs> and I think she just. I think she just really had a lot of pressure on her shoulders and really couldn't handle doing anything differently than she expected it to be done. You wow. know what I mean? So
2: yeah, Heather. You know, I don't like to excuse bad behavior. However, I'm trying to look at it from her <laughs> perspective. <laughs> right, right, So when you have a work plan, you have it set up for, for a certain reason. Now, of course you need to be flexible because there's discoveries in the field. That you need to react to. There's conditions in the field that you need to react to. So you start off with the best of intentions to at least work in that direction with the work plan that you set up. But it is difficult if somebody comes in and says, let's say you have a datum and you want, you're having the datum on one corner mm-hmm. and every unit has to have the datum on that one corner. Right. If somebody comes in and says, no, I always put it on the southwest corner, and that's what I do. (laughs) I never waver from that. It's a, it's a luck thing or whatever people say, or, Mm -hmm. or it's wrong to do it anywhere, but the Southwest corner. So I think there needs to be some give and take, but when it comes to the person who writes the work plan, that is, should be the default. Um, but then of course, in an effort to excavate and actually get the data that you want or that you need, right. To Mm -hmm. do it in a thorough way, you do need to be flexible from you know the the crew supervisor or the the person who's who who's supervising the effort does need to be flexible. Yeah. So I think it sounds like delivery was wrong, and for her to say it's wrong to do it that way is very short sighted and shows a lack of right experience. But I do want to make that point. Yeah.
1: And as far as something like the datum corner goes, just to bring that up because that. That was that wasn't necessarily an issue with us, um, only because the person and I that were working, we understood that, hey, this all has to be consistent, otherwise they won't know how to plot this thing correctly, right? right. So, right. You, you, I don't care what corner you use, right? It doesn't actually yeah. matter as long as they're all the same. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> so. that, that was just an example I used. Because yeah, exactly. Like to argue. Well, you're about right. Adam.
1: Yeah. Oh, you're totally right. People do argue yeah. about it. Yeah. And the big thing before we get to Doug there that her and I kind of threw down about was we had nails in the corner and they were like the, the typical like 12 inch wow. galvanized nails um, that, that people use. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So the nails in the corner, the ground was, the ground was relatively soft and it wasn't, um, she, she wouldn't let us offset the nails. Cause when we're just doing a one by one, I like to use like eight nails. Right. And I'll, I'll put them mm-hmm. like 10 centimeters past the wall. And then that way your Back nails straight. not pulling out and it's more stable. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also just because, the the ground surface right there was a little bit, it was a little bit um, how should I say it? Uh, it, it wasn't very even and it was difficult to keep it like you know to clean it up from where the datum nail was going to be. So a technique that we've used in the past is basically you set the nail so that your datum is actually at the nail head ten centimeters above the ground surface, right, and yes. then all your measurements you're basically just subtracting 10 from all your measurements mm-hmm. and then you've got a ground surface, but you know, your nails always there and you test it every once in a while and make sure it hasn't been kicked or moved or something like that. But right. it just, it's just better than having the string coming across the the ground surface right there and being affected by it. You've got it up in the air, it's free and it's, yes. and it's doing its thing. And she just could not handle that. Had to be at the ground surface, had to be at the ground surface. Mm-hmm. And she just was like, all your measurements are going to be wrong. And I was like, Well, no, we know how to subtract 10. So, (laughs) you know, it's not that big a deal. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I was
0: curious about the specifics, like what you did, like, quote, unquote, wrong. So, so your crime, Chris, was (laughs) that you, yeah, Chris Webster, put a datum at 10 centimeters instead of ground surface. Yeah, absolutely. And you backstaked.
2: And you backstaked. Yeah,
0: yeah, she wouldn't let me. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, I yeah. don't, I don't know. So Maybe we can that's talk. That's I offline. do. I do
2: both those. Yeah, me too. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I wonder why I do both yeah ways. yeah why is that mm. because it works yeah. <laughs> <Right? Well.
0: laughs> and I force all my minions to do that yeah.
2: Yeah. And also because that's how Andrew taught me <laughs> yeah
0: yeah well yeah well there you go and, and you know before we go to break here the,
1: the other thing to learn too of course that that people who have ever done this longer than six minutes knows this but not all the soil is the same not all ground is the same not all what? environments are the same
3: right no. <laughs> Like,
1: <No. laughs> I know so you, you gotta use whatever technique works for that situation yeah. Yeah. you know and if you're right i mean if you've got a if you've got a sledgehammer in the nail yeah you can probably put it right in the corner it's not going anywhere right but if you you know if you could just push it in with your hand then you probably need to backstake that thing because it's just going to pull out 17 times while you're digging so yep. all right let's take a short break and then we'll come back and doug had his hand raised but then he put it down i'm going to put it back up back in a minute Welcome back to the CRM arc podcast episode 276 and we are talking about you know how there's no one right way to do anything in this whole field so and and there's definitely different ways that you can do stuff depending on your situation and Doug I know you had your hand raised last time so let's hear your comment I'm also interested to hear your thoughts in you know your CRM experience I think you worked a lot in like New Mexico and then also you know anything you've done over in Scotland
4: well so I'll, I'll pivot because my, my other one question, why I had my hand raised, was actually like, What, what did you do wrong, Chris? How, how could you <laughs> mess up a one by one? Right. <laughs> and now I understand. Of course, Chris. Of course. It makes yeah. sense how you mess it up. <laughs> oh, man. I, I See, I, I'd get really controversial and just be like, You should go with a, a gridless site. Ooh. That that would have sol- solved all your just, problems, except except I actually think that's probably not back, <laughs> probably not back in like 2008. But you, you should have just been like, no, I refuse the one by one. We're going gridless. No no mm-hmm. no units at all. Yeah,
1: it, and that's actually it's, like this is looting, isn't it, Doug? Isn't that what that's called? What? That's called What's looting. It called? Looting.
4: No <laughs> no um, so like uh, in the Netherlands, <laughs> they don't funny. put out. They don't they don't do grids. Like this is so I, I did a I did a whole project. So again we ran into this sort of this issue of like what's the best way to do it. Um it was it was a we made videos, tutorial videos on I had a bunch of different countries, Spain, Italy, uh German language, which was Austrian, but also we had mm-hmm. German, so we could cover those slight weird differences in those languages. They're basically the same language. And we had the Dutch as well. And um yeah, we, we had meetings and it was discussions about, like, oh, you know, is there a better way of doing it? And actually, like, so for the one-by-one one video, we do one with, like, a tape measure. And then we actually do one where you could just use, like, a planning frame. Like, you put the, a planning frame is one-by-one, one, and you could just put, drop it down and stick the nails in the corners. And it, it like, it is so quick. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd ever go back to um, having to measure out, what was it one six one yeah like yeah uh no, I have well. nightmare yeah oh yeah yeah uh, <laughs> yeah nightmares about trying doing all the calculations especially when you get like "Ooh, let's do a one by three and you know something like that no in the netherlands they do not you don't need to do grids so they shoot in individual artifacts or mm-hmm. um like so uh, some of it's a difference in You know, archaeology, it's a method. So, like, you know, for prehistoric and you know, North America, you pretty much are lithics and maybe some ceramics, unless you're, like, in a cave or some other specialty stuff. But, you know, so, like, you're kind of doing that, like, grids to sort of create distribution maps. But even then, like, honestly, a a one-by-one, but with a 10-centimeter spit is pretty much pointless anyways like i'm pretty sure most of our most of our one by one work it's arbitrary and does not answer most of the questions you'd be looking to answer with it i mean it kind of somewhat makes sense as like an arbitrary thing for maybe shuffle test pitting or something like that just because you know you need you need to have some sort of standard and one meter by one meter makes sense but i also you know people do 50 by 50 centimeters Mm -hmm. you know it's fairly arbitrary and uh makes no difference but yeah you can totally do (laughs) like literally they were very shocked when they're like you have pegs and nails in your sight the tripping hazards and why would you do that like the dutch were just they're very dutch so matter of fact of like well that's just stupid okay well
2: speaking from somebody who comes from dutch ancestry (laughs) a little more (laughs) diplomatic than that, but, um, but I do understand, I understand (laughs) I'm not (laughs) now that all makes sense. Now that I'm Dutch, it makes all, (laughs) anyway, I think that there's a huge difference. I mean, obviously let's just kind of go to the other spectrum, Greece, where you were just that or Egypt, you know, they don't typically, they're not doing these large grids with, you know, one by ones. Typically they, they work based on discovery Mm -hmm. and, I see that that is starting to change even in California where, you know, we do do a lot of work based on discovery, just these hard grids that you don't move from because you want to have the sample size. And, you know, I, I don't think that anybody does it that rigidly anymore Yeah, from my experience, but there's a complete difference. There, there are reasons why we do what we do in America and And in California, especially when it comes to prehistoric, because we have no idea what we're looking for sometimes. And what we find is so can be so small and easy to Mm -hmm. not find, (laughs) you know, if you don't do it right. So and and you need to have a sample size, Mm -hmm. a representative sample size. So, you know, I think there's reasons. And I think this just goes to the theme of this of this podcast is that there are reasons why conditions will motivate your work plan. It all has to be based on what you're dealing with. You have to make a work plan. You can't be rigid, but at the same time, you do have to, if you have a work plan and it's takes into account all the conditions and, and the potential that you could be that of what you could find and what you're looking for, then I think you do need to have some systematic approach so that. The data in the end. I mean, the worst thing, right, is we get back to the lab, we don't know what we're looking at. So <laughs> right. that's why you have you do have to be somewhat rigid, but you have to also be flexible based on the conditions
4: and what you're dealing mm-hmm. with. So, sure, Doug. Also, like I think part of this is literally the last fifteen years or so. Like a grid measuring everything out makes a lot of sense if you go back pre digital, and like you actually still had to like measure out maps and a grid was incredibly helpful for that. And accuracy was greatly improved on site plans. But yeah, these days technology is such that like even like the GPS units, you can pretty much, you can get like sub centimeter accuracy and just shoot in everything um, Mm -hmm. with some of those units. So it it made sense years ago. And I, I think some of that is like a holdback of like, Actually, yeah, if you still, if you don't have the technology and you're still doing everything by hand, yes, you definitely need a grid or yeah, you could kind of try to do it without, but like your life would be made so much easier. There's some questions in, sort of going in the chat. And one question is like uh, the bill had was like do, with like the grid list, do they even do square units? No, no, you don't like... The idea behind grid lists is you don't actually have units like that. And I've actually seen excavations that so in certain soils obviously with a, a grid you're, you're like oh all the sides should be like you know it should be a square it should be straight mm-hmm. and then we've all been through that where like loose soils you start going down and then like your sides start coming down <laughs> with you and they right. collapse um but uh, I've, I've seen some excavations where it's circle circle units because you know a circle physics basically it, it keeps it the sides from collapsing and mm-hmm. so, like, depending on your soil and how di- how far you're going down, um, I've seen for health and safety reasons you do circle trenches, yeah. Um, and there's nothing nothing wrong with that. And like, so with the with a gridless uh, site, you strip back areas, and because you you're shooting in all the points, so if you're finding any features, if you're finding any artifacts, you don't like. You can shoot in. You can make the most random. They tend to end up being sort of squarish rectangle excavations anyways. Cause that's just easy, but like you could do a Snoopy designed um, <laughs> trench. Uh, like you could get creative, like as you want, like start doing um, crop circle style um, trenches. There's nothing like there, there's no reason why you, sh- you need to have a straight trench for most most everything you're doing. Um, so yeah, it, you can have weekly lines and you just go and shoot it in with your GPS or I guess if you're a slightly older school, total station. And I guess if you really wanted to, you could do a tape measure and... Playing table and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's a lot harder. <laughs> but yeah, man, you, you, there is no reason why you actually need to have square trenches. No, actually, I, all I, hands going up. What? So I, I feel like why people can, are going to yell can at can me. You know, you know, it's pretty you much on fire. But yes. what's crazy is I've, I've
3: already done this too before, and I, I absolutely get what you're saying. The only time you're really using those square units or or rectangular units is when you, you know, you think you want to get some kind of a volumetric sample. Yes.
2: Thank you. Right. It's much easier.
3: (laughs) If you've stripped down to the level where the features are at, you can't really run the backhoe back over archeology. span So if you've bisected all these different post holes and features, but there's more down below, then somehow you have to get down there and people digging trenches or shovel probes or something like that straight down is the way that you see if there's more layers below that. So I get it. And actually it is way better. It is way better to just shoot in features and stuff and dig them haphazardly or however you want, you know, because you're really going for the shape of the feature rather than some arbitrary square. Yeah, Right.
0: right. But there is there is a a balance, you know, as we listen to Doug's European postmodern psychobabble (laughs) on (laughs) archaeology. (laughs) <laughs> I I, uh, I would say that there, there is bounces. I've seen y- you can easily see how this would go too far the other way too. You yes. know, and and it's kind of like I think what Heather was saying before. You just sort of have to match y- y- what you're doing to the scene at hand. Always thinking with a little bit of science, though. I, I don't like just a sort of free for all. We just shoot them in because we have yeah. modern technology to the sub centimeter. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, until all that stuff breaks. Like, why don't we just go old school? We'll put some one by ones out thoughtfully placed and we can dig them with old tools. And that's completely fine. And I, in my experience, I much prefer that to like this week's ideology that will be foolish next week.
4: Hmm. So I believe this episode started with there's no wrong way to do something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think <laughs> t- t- me me doing- <laughs> okay. I've pushed the limit of our there's, there's so no wrong
2: <laughs> way to do something. There's a caveat to that. I mean, yeah. as long as you again go back to your strategy and whatever as long as you have a really good strategy. You know, to start mm-hmm. off with the research design to start off with, and if you every action and decision in the field is based on that, and and willingness right. to f- be flexible as you come across, you know, with discovery, if you stick with that, then you can be flexible. But you, that's why research design is so important.
4: Right. That's what. That's what I would say. So I'm I'm a hundred percent with Heather on this. I but also say that. Unfortunately, I get get what you guys are saying about like volumetric and, and sampling and stuff, but I honestly think that um, in a lot of ways, people don't engage with that enough when thinking about it. Because you you have people who will be like, "Yeah, we're we're just we're we're doing volume and you know it's it's the number of lithics per unit to try to get a distribution map and stuff like that." But like one meter by ten centimeters doesn't answer a lot of questions, a lot of research questions you have. And actually, to be honest, like, how many site reports have you guys actually – like, we we always take these measurements. Occasionally, there's a distribution map in a um, site report. But for the most part, a lot of those measurements of, like, you know, this this, uh, spit and this – uh grid or you know this uh, unit had oh, 150 lithics or something like that we take a lot of that, those measurements but they never actually make it into the report mm-hmm. um i would say it's like mm-hmm. there's there's a there's definitely a, a hold on to like a one meter as like the standard when not necessarily that yeah. should be the standard depending on the questions you have i disagree
0: I think I think you <laughs> need some sort of standard just to go with. It's OK. I understand it's a bit arbitrary or whatever, but it's so much better to have some sort of unit standard, you know. And what's funny is I'm playing the part of the more rigid guy in this, and I'm usually not that guy, you know, in this world. I'm very much into think of uh, uh, dealing with what happens in the moment. But I think we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, be like, oh, one by ones. They're so last century. It's like, no, 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 no. They work well. (laughs) And also, you keep saying that, like, oh, they don't answer the research questions. Uh, Sure, they do. You know, I I guess the only time they wouldn't answer is if you were so rigid that you only dug your square in your in your preconceived spot, even though you could see that all the artifacts were 14 meters away. You know, but oh, I must follow (laughs) my rigid science guidelines. Then I understand.
4: Yeah, yeah but I, what, what questions do they answer? Well, what questions
0: are you talking about? Because all you keep saying is like, well, they just don't answer the questions. Like what? Okay, See? so like... The yeah, only reason, no, you the put only them in reason, the right
4: spot. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're thinking... But you could put any size, shape, trench anywhere to answer yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, one one,
2: one. the one, one thing I think we also need to remember is that we're not just looking at what we are specifically... I don't know, I'm not going to say this right, but... Uh, Yes, we're looking at our strategy, but we're also trying to remember that there are things and technologies that are going to come, you know, in the future that we're collecting information with that in mind, too. Hmm. So sometimes you're collecting information that you're not going to do anything with, but we have it in case, you know, in the future. Yeah. Something can be done.
1: OK, with that and the, you know, discussion in hand, <laughs> so let's take this over to segment three and uh, and wrap this up back in a minute.
0: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Welcome back to Mark podcast, episode 276. And okay. So from the last segment, you know, we really get into this thing. And on the one hand... Doug, I totally understand what you're saying because with modern technology, with the ability to, I mean, literally sub-meter, sub-centimeter shoot in every single thing that you find in a relatively quick and easy way, is there a reason for, you know, putting everything into grids in certain circumstances, right? And, and it's been brought up and I, I do have to echo this too, as a business owner, you know, sometimes you have to account for what you're doing and it can't just be, you know, you really have to say I dug this much in volume and that was mentioned before as well. So if you've got those kinds of constraints, you need a, you need an efficient way to measure that volume and maybe you're just going to do some photogrammetry on it, on your big circular spiral hole. And then, you know, you can get volume that way, but in, in the easier way is to to do it in a grid. So (laughs) one thing that was being mentioned over the break was, uh, how do we teach this? So yeah, how would I mean, you teach somebody?
3: Yeah, I'm really I'm keenly interested in this aspect, too, because if I'm just following what folks are doing here, what I've been seeing folks do in the United States, and I've got students who, you know, they're going to work all around the world. They're going to work wherever they can find jobs. I don't want them to show up to these European sites or these other sites in other places and this be like something where the crew chief goes off on them the same way they did on <laughs> Chris because they don't know this new technique. So, you know, how do you teach this?
4: All right. Well, there's a couple of things to break down. Um, One is like, this is a very Dutch way of doing it. We still do a lot of grids in the UK. There's still a lot of grids in other places, and not like different countries are different things. And they've been like that for since archaeology became much more formulated. And, And like, I like how you guys are like describing this as like a loose sort of thing, but like the Dutch way of doing archaeology is so prescriptive. Like, they have a 200 page manual that is in version six or something or seven of like how you do archaeology and like it is incredibly prescriptive but they do it because it works and it's it's pretty easy to teach because you're basically I, I get where where Chris was saying you know it's just really easy to like pull out oh I, I dug so many squares and we went down the step and now I can quickly calculate it but mm-hmm. if you think about the time it takes to set up like a one by one and then someone to come over and be like, that's a diamond because you didn't do it right. <laughs> and like, like all the time for that, like setting up a, a one by one, we all do it. We're all pretty pros at it, but you know, it still takes a couple of minutes and you can literally shooting in with a GPS, send one person around and like the time you're actually going to save more time of just shooting in or yeah, photogrammetry. Like, so a lot of a big new thing is just doing photogrammetry and in that software do a couple of shots of your your trench, so you get a lot more out of it because you can get all your photos at that time too. You can get a three D model if you need to, and then you can literally just pull out the volume out of the thing. So, it, it like, it's not quite simpler. It's just a, going back to the, the the topic of this episode. It's a different <laughs> way of doing it, and in terms of teaching it, like it, it's, I, I think I'm slightly confusing. But imagine, like, instead of doing one by ones, you had a trench that was. meters by 2.4. It's still a square. It still works. You're still excavating to an area, especially if, like, you know, there's a lot of topsoil and you've used um, some sort of, you know, backhoe to just pull it back and you've basically scraped back to an area. So, especially if you have like a lot of overburden that you maybe need to go down like half a meter or something like that, you just scrape down and then you go in there and you can also scrape back at, at layers. So I think maybe we're saying the wrong things, but earlier where people were talking about like, you know, going down, there's features below. Yeah. Having a square that's like one by one or a square that's like two by 1.83 or something makes absolutely no uh, difference unless you're doing all your calculations by hand at the end. Like you're not going to teach it any different. You say you are excavating the areas that make sense and you stop, like, so if you're digging features, you st- stop. Let's be honest, it's it's CRM. So, like, you, we we kind of s- say, like, you know, you put it in one-by-ones, but your site ends at the end of the site. So if you're doing a pipeline, I don't know, you have so many meters on each side that you're allowed to excavate. And then as soon as you hit that line, you stop. Like, even if you found, like, the most amazing, like, I don't know, Ancestor of Pueblo village, and you've just hit the corner of it, but if it goes outside of your um, excavation area for CRM, yeah, that's nice. You can maybe someone at a university, most likely pot hunters will get to it first, can go back in like 80 years and dig it. But um, yeah, yeah it doesn't tragic. really matter. So you, you have your, your your line, you have your project area laid out, and you can sort of divide that up into a bunch of one by one squares, or you could just make a giant trench, or a bunch of smaller ones, or round ones, or uh, as Chris said, our spiral trench of fun. <laughs> like it, it doesn't. It, teaching it's not not going to be any different than teaching one by ones, except that mm-hmm. you're not teaching someone. You know, you need to put in your nails here, and then you know you use two tape measures or one tape measure yeah. and string, and that that's the only difference is is just like make a line somewhere, make a line that makes yeah. sense. And like yeah, with a if- trench, we we expand it by like oh we need to expand this trench by like one you know another one by one square and then another one by one square or you could just be like hey guys let's just keep digging for until we uh you know like three meters out or two and a half or it could be arbitrary it doesn't it, it's where the archaeology is it's not necessarily you need to fit that into a nice one by one okay I'll stop <laughs> <laughs> I think this this goes for for anything in life.
2: You have to master the, the easy first. And so when you're teaching, to answer Bill's question, when you're teaching people, you they need to master something first in order to learn how to do this. And yeah. when you're teaching, you're looking for mastery of that skill while also teaching the spirit why you're doing it. But you need to master the skill before you can start playing around. Because if you, thro- you throw people out doing Snoopy units, <laughs> which I love <laughs> that idea, or you throw them out doing spiral units or whatever, that is for people who are at the level that they can play with those. Like there's got to be some, like Andrew said, some science to it. And the only way to teach people is to have them master on something That is certain. And that is that one square unit is, is one of the easiest ways to do that. And then once they've mastered it, then they can start, I'm not saying playing like, like they're not thinking about it, but then they can start moving off of that one by one. But you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is such a
0: great point, right? You you need that building block to go further. Absolutely. And it, it's it's so teachable. It gets you so much bang for the buck, you know, l- learning the one by ones. I do. I do really enjoy teaching. them. And I would say one other thing about the really wild, you know, spiral digs or whatever. Imagine reading that report like 10 years later and you're <laughs> like, oh, God, they did this stupid spot. Uh, you know, because it, it you can't then compare it to other stuff in the area, you know, and I get it. If you're following a feature or something, that's different. That's different. You know, we all understand that, but, there is something to be said about the sort of old school way. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm all of a sudden shouting, you're doing it wrong. But on the flip <laughs> side, you know, on the flip side, if I'm not using the Dutch manual, I'm not doing it wrong either. You know
3: what I mean? <laughs> well, I'm, I think that if, if stuff's changing, man, and if, if you got a situation where the backhoe just trips down to the level that the cultural layer and then somebody's flying a drone and just shooting in every single thing. And somehow magically you've got a phone or a tablet or something that is seriously within a centimeter. Cause I mean, that's what we're talking about here. I'm teaching people to get this thing within a centimeter or so of error. Yeah. And so if, if, if you've got a thing that's doing all that and it's shooting down a laser dot or a spray paint exact location of exactly where your stuff's supposed to be at, and they tell you, you know, bisect this thing, or I want you to dig a Snoopy right here, and it traces the Snoopy with a LED on the ground and you can do that, then who are we to t- who are we to tell people to keep doing the square if now just all the robots are going to set everything up yeah. and, and someone just teaches them how to dig whatever they've got, right? Sure. Like 10 years from now, imagine them reading our stuff and being like, oh, God, they're still doing the 1900 squares. Boy, oh, boy. <laughs> but, right? but there's yeah. got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason. Happen. How but many CRM companies
2: have yeah. all that technology? You know, if you if you throw people, students in and say, you know, it could be this, it could be that, and you're not right. teaching them something that they can at least master. I'm not saying that you're stuck with these one by ones, but you gotta teach them with something. And if somebody's come up with a better one a better way, great, let's do it. But let's not do it for change sake, just so that we can have something different. Let's mm-hmm. them come up and thoughtfully come up with something. If something comes up and they're, and it's better, then fine, let's go with it. But, I mean, we're talking about all these technologies that a majority of CRM companies, special especially small ones, do not have. So, when you have that technology, then you can work with that technology. But we still have to be producing students, people going into the field that know how to do the basics.
4: Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, just one last thing. is like, okay, I was... St- being facetious with the whole snoopy like guys it, it's <laughs> we know that Doug. <laughs> no, 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 no matter what you're not doing a spiral it, it, it's basically going to be it's one squares it's going to be <laughs> squares or rectangles but uh just it doesn't have to be measured exactly by one meter you could do centimeters yeah. you, you I, I, I maybe i should rephrase this uh it's not gridless it's more precise archaeology it's instead of being stuck at like a one meter scale, you're going down to centimeter or millimeter scale. And so you're just being better.
0: (laughs) Politician.
1: I love it. Right. Uh, So I think what our big takeaways from this episode are just like I said, in the beginning, there is no one right way to do things. And really what you should let guide your, your methodology is your research questions what are your research questions? What are you trying to answer? And what is the best absolute way to answer those research questions? And also, not just your research questions, but your 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 design as well and your proposal. Who's funding this thing and how are they paying for it, right? What are they expecting to see? Are they expecting you to see, you know, a uh, uh, hundred cubic meters of soil come out of the ground? Well, you better be able to measure a hundred cubic meters. You don't have to do that in squares, but you better, better be able to measure that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and not go over that or do something with it. So, and then, you know, using the right tools for the right job. So I think this was a, a great discussion. I thought maybe it would be, you know, maybe one segment where we talked about this, but you know, <laughs> I, I should I never underestimate you guys. <laughs> I shouldn't. we <laughs> to keep it going. capacity
2: so, to BS. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. So if you're hearing this, of course you are, because you're listening to it, comment on, you know, Facebook, wherever you found it. Share this out on some of the groups out there and and comment. You, you can also go to arcpodnet.com forward slash what is it? CRM Archaeology Podcast? I don't know. Go find the CRM Arc Podcast on ArcPodnet, and then you can comment right on the episode. So I'm interested to hear other people's thoughts on this. And with that, we will see you guys next time. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at archpodnet.com dot com slash members get some swag and extra content while you're there send us show suggestions and interview suggestions we want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere and we want to know what you want to know about thanks to everyone for joining me this week thanks also to the listeners for tuning in and we'll see you in the field goodbye
0: goodbye
2: thanks for listening
0: see you guys next time after i finish reading this dutch field book
4: <laughs> oh it's, it's no longer a book it's actually online now they have they've, they've updated it yeah a <laughs> website as as We,
0: we know, should put the link online article so convenient
4: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. now they used I to have a manual they, they literally used to have okay. a physical manual um, I've been doing it was, like, all version wrong. 1 yeah,
1: yeah. Alright. Well, uh, goodbye yeah, in, in the bonus if, content
3: All right <laughs> I, I'll just say
4: I'll, I, I need to say my goodbye which is just going to be like stay snoopy people
3: <laughs> I thought it would be scenes.
1: <laughs> this episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Digtech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster.
0: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.arcpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.